Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet that discusses film. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and with me once again and forever and always, it's my dearest friend. Please welcome to the podcast once again, Cameron James. It is such an honor, a privilege. And a joy oh to be back in your Blu-ray room. Oh, the Blu-ray room, Blu-ray mm. studios. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here in Blu-ray studios, formerly DVD studios. <laughs> and then hopefully one day, 4K UHD studios. <laughs> you've, really, you've really decked it out nice since I've been away. Yeah. So you've got some of your more prestige, beautiful looking boxes mm-hmm. on display. I'm putting can, them on display. I can see Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I've got a beautiful steelbook copy of Into the Spider-Verse. I want to put that up there in a p- position of pride and a position yeah. of power. It is definitely in a position of power. I walked in and immediately tried to offer my wife to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take my wife, please, yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about Henny Youngman. Yeah, later. We gotta be talking about. I reckon Henny Youngman will get a good focus <laughs> in this podcast. Wait, I can't wait. Cameron, you've been away mm. in the city of stars, La yeah. La Land itself, the titular character <laughs> of the 2017 movie that won a couple of Oscars. Yep, sure was. Was it just like the movie? You seeing beautiful women dancing around, beautiful yep. blue skies. Absolutely. I went to Griffith Observatory. Wow, and you did a float, and I floated up in the air, and. Uh, People started screaming at me, get down, get down from there. <laughs> get a rope. We're going <laughs> to fling a rope at the boy. Uh, it was great. It was so much fun. Mm. I, I loved it there. I, I wasn't just in LA. I was like in California. California. I was in the wilderness of California. Yeah. I experienced Chili every pepper style, brother. type of landscape from socks on cocks. <laughs> Through to Big Sur. It was beautiful. Had the best time. Uh, Did you spot any stars, any celebrities out there? That's what the people want to hear. They (laughs) want the star gossip. I did. Uh, I saw um, so many random ones. I saw the guy who... Remember in the American office, Pam's first fiancé? Oh, yeah, What's yeah. His name? What was that guy's name? He's in Brightburn. I just saw him oh, in the movie he? now. Yeah. yeah, he was behind me in line at the wow. Arclight Cinema one day. Um, I saw Zazie. And what did you say? Oh, are you in one of these ones? I said, excuse me, are you in Ferrari V4? <laughs> he said, no, 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 I'm in the American office. I said, oh, Oh, yeah. that's where I know you're from. Cool, cool, cool. Fuck you for what you did to Pam, dude. Yeah, I mean, you got what came to you. Yeah. You got um, your I, saw, I saw Zazie Beats. Oh, wow. From Joker. From Jokers. Joker's GF. Yeah. So, and I stopped her. I said, did, did he kill you? 
<laughs> now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but at the end of the music movie, I was kind of confused by everything confused that happened. as all get out. I was like, first of all, wait a tick. Did you guys ever hook up at all? Yeah. Second question, he shoot you or anything? What went on there? And question number three, who's a better kisser, Joker or Deadpool 2? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the biggest star, the brightest star, oh, speaking of the American office, um, oh, I saw Ed Helms. Ed I've Helms. Already, I've, told, I've told a few people this. I saw Ed Helms do stand-up. Wait, Ed Helms does stand-up? And he's up? not good. <laughs> oh, no. He sucks. No. I don't think he does stand-up very often. Or I've never just... once heard of Ed Helms doing stand-up. Me neither. I know that he was a correspondent on the Daily Show, so I assume he I came from I mean, that's the same sketch. thing. Yeah. That's the same thing as stand-up. Up. So he was at this show at Largo, the Kyle Dunnigan experiment, and uh, I mean, fucking hell, he really struggled because... By the way, sorry to interrupt you, but that's my favorite style of show, is comedian name followed by the word experiment. Yeah, I'm going to do one out here. It's the called Cameron the Cameron James, James Experiment, experiment wow. it's me taking a shit, a giant dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Dunnigan, host, very funny, and then he brought out the first comedian, who was Bill Burr. Wow, doing, who is a legend. Who's a living legend. Then he brought out Ed Helms, wow. who stank it up so, so Good bad, Lord. and kept referencing Bill Burr, kept going like, oh, I was talking to Bill backstage about this, and then he'd launch into a bit, and it's like, no, you weren't, yeah. you're just trying to make us remember Bill Burr for and a second. And he laughed, yeah. so therefore <laughs> yeah. you should find this funny. And then Dimitri Martin was on after him, and he oh, uh, crushed so hard as well. What a... Horrible to be sandwiched between two of the absolute <laughs> legends of the game. I know. When you're an actor who is fucking funny. He's a like, great actor. Undeniable. He's great been comedy in funny in so, in so many things. For example, Hangover. I love Hangover. Uh, Hangover I love Part Hangover 2. Hangover 2, colon, Thailand time. Yeah, Thailander. <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one Hangover. <laughs> Traveling through time and interdimensional hopping. Um, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be so We're gonna good. make this. We've just we just from Bangkok to Kosamoon. <laughs> we just pitched a movie in the room. Yeah. Is what just happened. Thailander. Thailander. There could only be one hangover movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cameron, it's so good to have you back. Truly, I've missed you. It's been so long I've since we've hung out in Blu-ray Studios together, <laughs> ripping up a storm. This. We're just kicking off a new mini-series this week on the podcast. It's exciting. Uh, We're coming to the end of the year, and we originally planned to do a December podcast. Mm, I mean, the stars aligned for it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Disney Plus just launched, so we were kind of like... Let's just do this. Let's dive into all those Disney reboots and We've got so many. Start checking them off, you know? But then we had a change of heart. We had a change of heart. And that change of heart was partly inspired by one of cinema's greatest... uh, Legends. Yeah, I was thinking of another one. Well, you know, he's a legend, first and foremost. First and foremost, legend. Foremost and foremost, legend. Secondly, he's Italian-Americano. The Italian-American. I say say. Italo-American. You're allowed to say that and that alone. (laughs) You can't go further than what you're thinking of saying, okay? Okay. As someone who is of a similar ethnic background, a migrant of the Mediterranean, a freaking Avenger from the Adriatic, you know, I can say a few more things. Chuck them at me. Let's see what you got. Well, I'll say them as it comes by. I'm not going to chuck them all at the top, you know. (laughs) 
I don't want to. It's scary to me as well. I don't know where my line is. Well, where did uh, you've had a lot of strong opinions mm. about this Martin Scorsese versus Disney yeah. debate? Well, you know, my, we're, what we're doing this week, uh, what we're kicking off this week is we're going to be wishing you guys a Marty Christmas. Yeah, we're going to be wishing you a Marty Christmas. It's a pun on Mary and the name Marty, and it's hilarious. And we're all laughing here. We're <laughs> delighted to come up with the idea of putting this pun. Everyone together. in Blu-ray studios is absolutely cacking it yeah. right now. A lot of the Blu-ray Romano, who's one of our interns here, he's <laughs> loving it. He's like, "Hey, funny stuff." And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, Ray Romano gave me the go-ahead." You know. Just it's like Ed Helms, Bill Burr style. <laughs> uh, but, oh my God. By the way, just before we move on, yeah. Ray Romano was on David Spade's show the oh, other night wow, and he wow, said wow. the funniest thing. I've What'd ever he say? He said, uh, he said, it's Brad Garrett's, Brad Garrett's <laughs> birthday the other day. I didn't know what to get him. I mean, what do you get the guy that I gave everything? <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? Oh, good Lord. What do you get the guy? I love you, Blu-ray Romano. Oh, God, Romano is one of the best. We'll probably end up talking about him too eventually because what we wanted to do with this was, you know, the the Martin Scorsese uh, made these comments in an interview um, about how he considered the Marvel movies not to be cinema. Mm. And, you know, at first, when I first heard that, I was like, you know, your instinct is, well, I mean, I've seen it in the movies. Yeah, so I must I've seen it in a cinema. It is cinema. And, you know, you're like, kind of like, what is... It's who are you to dismiss this? And then you're like, oh, he's the greatest filmmaker alive, one of the most prominent American artists in history, uh, not just of this art form. I would say, you know, he's responsible for some of the greatest pieces of uh, American art ever. Uh, you know, put him up against freaking American Gothic, that picture of those two <laughs> old biddies hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you like his opinion holds value. And when he made that op-ed for the New Yorker, mm. was it New Yorker? New York? uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he really went into detail about what he meant by that, I was just really struck by like, of course, this guy is the person who cares more about cinema and the art form and the integrity of it more than anyone else ever. The guy loves films so much. And I think that's why he's always been like, you know, an idol to me. And for people like you and I that talk about films, hearing him talk about films is like another level. Like Mm. he would have been the best film podcaster of all time. (laughs) And he got down that road. Like there's no one that speaks so passionately about it. And seeing that op-ed where he's talking about how the world of cinema is being dominated and the, and multiplexes are being dominated by the same thing, basically. Uh, Disney, Marvel, DC, whatever you want to call it, um, pushing out these really high-end blockbuster films that are not challenging and not challenging the form, not thematically challenging and are very cookie-cutter in a way. Mm. And um, taking up all the spots for any other films trying to get in and not allowing the space for other things to kind of go in and seeing Disney making our culture so homogenous and, you know, it's making our pop culture homogenous. I've been struggling with that a lot recently, just going like, you know, Disney Plus came out. I've been feeling all these feelings about like, yeah, Scorsese is right. I'm on the side of cinema on the side of the guy that's talking about like his generation of filmmakers trying to revolutionize the art form and then them failing, but him doing everything that he can to, um, 
to allow the next generation of filmmakers to do just that and try mm. to set them up. Yeah. And then, like, you know, seeing all these company men from Disney, like Feige, Iger, Ruffalo, and the Russo brothers fall over each other trying to come out and dismiss, like, his comments. Yeah. And like, seeing that, you know, this giant corporation paint the guy that cares so much as the villain and them as the underdogs, like, it sat with me in a really bad way yeah i uh we've kind of talked about this a little bit i think my feelings on the whole thing are a little more um centrist mm, i feel i'm a classic centrist mm. politically and yeah. uh, cinematically yeah <laughs> <laughs> because it's at the end of the day the whole argument is art versus entertainment mm. and cinema is both and yeah. always has been both. absolutely from the moment that that train pulled into station and freaked everyone and out. freaked the fuck out of everyone was that entertainment or was that art it's grown in both directions mm. The entire time. Um, and I think there's room for both. Yeah. And my opinion is that people like the Russos, and I'm, I mainly think of the Russos here and probably Ruffalo as well. Yeah. I mean, Ruffalo's in Shutter Island. Yeah. They're all actors, filmmakers, and storytellers who undeniably would have grown up idolizing Martin Scorsese, mm. Coppola, the whole new Hollywood scene. Yes. There's no way they wouldn't have. I think if you work in the industry, you. You have to. You can't not. Yeah. You, I mean, you can fight against it and you can rebel against it if you want, but mm. you still have to acknowledge that they were the uh, the original. Yeah. You know, they were the original punk. And um, and I think when you're being told that what you, what you create is less than artistic mm. from your hero, it's the equivalent of your parents telling you your drawing sucks and taking yeah. it off the fridge. I think it hurts. I think it would hurt them, and I can understand why they would lash out. Uh, yeah, I think the way you put it there is so perfect, because it's like, it's of course I would feel that way, because otherwise, like, what's easier to say that what I've done is of no value, mm. or that the guy that I idolize is 80 and out of touch? Yeah. And um, I think that... It's hard not to take the what he said personally, but I don't think what he said is like, hey, fuck you, you're responsible. No, it's no, more no. like, this is what's happening. Can we help? Can we try and make... Yeah. Some, can we try and boost stuff But, you know, up? it always comes and goes in waves. And then when there was a period... You could argue that Jaws, you know, created yeah. by freaking Scorsese's best buddy... Um, is responsible for yeah. what's happening now. Well, Scorsese's best buddy is Robert De Niro, so I think he got that confused. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, because, yeah, of, because of Spielberg yeah. and Lucas, th- th- this is where we're at. Yeah. Cinema has changed in a way that it is, it's still able to be a personal form of expression, but mm. it is also largely a money-making industry. Yeah. Um, was Jaws the Jaws is the first blockbuster, right? Yeah, I mean, of Star Wars is not far behind. Yeah, of that ilk. I mean, yeah. like you it was know, the you first had multiplex. Yeah, you have stuff like you know, The Godfather is a blockbuster. Sure, sure, sure. But you know, you would not put that in but the Jaws same. Jaws opened wide in yeah. a way that no no film ever had before. Can I just say the way you said Jaws open wide? Yeah, that's a poster or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon that's probably a podcast series. Yeah, because Jaws open wide. It's funny because you're like. Yeah. You're literally saying it opened wide. It opened in many, wide many in, in many cinemas. cinemas, but also it, it sort of has a double meaning. Yeah, because it's like Jaws 
they open wide yeah. when you're going to gobble something up. And yeah. famously, it's a movie about a shark that does just that. Yeah, yeah. So that's why so you're that's one really of the, interesting. I think that's why you're a great critic and a funny comedian because <laughs> you can say stuff like that all the time. Yeah, that's just so, <laughs> and sort you didn't of even funny think of it. Say. You just your brain just does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brain's really fucked up, dude. <laughs> 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 but you know that what we're saying is that you know rather than um, us just continue talking about these big blockbusters, mm. they'll be fucking remade forever. We thought that we would take time to celebrate Martin Scorsese because I think of this conversation that's fucking never ending and kind of boring for a lot of us mm. at this point, or upsetting for me <laughs> at points. <laughs> is the nice thing that's been seeing all these beautiful things about Martin Scorsese being shared about like how he is the champion of cinema, yeah, uh, and you know him helping younger filmmakers like using his power to help younger filmmakers the Martin Scorsese World Cinema Project which is like about restoring like uh, Mm. films from uh, non-English speaking countries from around the world from everywhere and so I'm like this guy's a champion of film we deserve to champion the champion who champions the champions uh And also, the guy's got... uh, The way that we're going to structure this, the guy's got some very interesting films that have been either he remakes or Mm. uh, legacy sequel or continuing his legacy. I think the way that we're going to structure it, this episode is about Goodfellas. Yeah. People may be thinking, why are we talking about Goodfellas on a podcast about reboots? This is something that we teased very early on, right? Yeah, we've been fascinated by this story for a little while. Um, But uh, obviously, Goodfellas... Adapted from the book Wise Guy yeah. by Nicholas Pileggi. Who's a great journalist mm. and author of like true crime books. He also wrote Casino. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was the, is it husband? Yeah, he was married to one of the great, one of the all-time great screenwriters probably. Yeah. And a great filmmaker, Nora Ephron, who mm. wrote When Harry Met Sally, who wrote and directed uh, You've Got Mail. I was mm. going to say Love Email. I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> uh, I watched like three days ago. You've Got Mail and, of course, Sleepless in Seattle. Mm. Um, she is like one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, even just for those three films. Yeah. I'm reading a book. Is Love Email your favorite? Love film? Email is my least favorite, but it was my favorite growing up. <laughs> Uh, but she's like she's one of the funniest like writers, and she has mm. like a very specific tone. They were married, and when he was writing Wise Guy, which is based on all these interviews he did with Henry Hill and some other uh, some other people involved, she, uh, that movie became directly was adapted by Martin Scorsese and he to become Goodfellas. But based on those same interviews, based on that same book, um, she wrote the movie as well. Mm. And that movie came out the same month as Goodfellas mm. in cinemas. The movie is called My Blue Heaven, and it stars two of our favorites. Continuing, yeah. we're going to talk about every movie they did together. I think we are. Yeah. With uh, Rick Moranis, who yeah. plays an FBI agent, and uh, Steve, Steve Martin. Martin, who plays a gangster who's now in witness protection. Yeah, so based on of, Henry Hill. So it's, it's it's almost a sequel. Almost a sequel. It's a. <laughs> It's one of those things where we find interesting. We haven't been able to talk about too much Mm. where it's like a different adaptation. And it's not direct, direct, but it's like, yeah, it is direct. Same source material. Same source material. Not officially, but, you know. Same era. Yep. Came out in the same month. Same month. And it almost acts as a comedic follow-up to Goodfellas. And I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But I've been... It's been on our list for... 
a year and a bit, right? Forever. I'd yeah. seen it when I first discovered it because I was like, how can this exist? Yeah. Because it just sounds, it's crazy. And how is this not known? How mm. is this like, how is there not a freaking documentary about just <laughs> this thing happening? So we thought we have to do it. So we're going to kick it off with Goodfellas this week. Next week, we're going to talk about My Blue Heaven, starring two of our favorites. Mm-hmm. The week after that, I'm going to talk Irishman. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. For no other reason than I've seen it twice and I'm obsessed with it. And you know, and it's Marty Christmas. Marty yeah. Christmas. We're giving you a little... That's your Christmas present is we're doing a one-off episode about the Irishman. <laughs> I can't wait. And then can't at wait. the end of it, I thought maybe we'd do Cape Fear because... Um, it's a direct remake that he that Marcus says he made. Yeah. But then you brought another film up that I just thought, yes, that's the direction we should go instead. I mean, I guess it does kind of make more sense for us to do Cape Fear because it is a direct reboot or remake. But this one has been another one that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. Mm. Been very interested in. Yeah. It is The Color of Money. Yes. Which is like a 20-year-later... Yeah, it would be about 20 years later. Yeah, 20 years later. 23, sequel, maybe? Lego sequel yeah. to The Hustler, yeah. starring Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. Paul Newman reprises his role in The, in the Color of Money. but As now, Fast Eddie As Felsen. Fast Eddie, one of his most iconic roles yeah. ever, 20 years later. Um, but this time he's playing opposite a young Tom Cruise, who I think I think this is his only Scorsese film. Yeah, the only time that he'd collaborated with Scorsese. And this is, at this point, who knows? Yeah, that's I true. I hope Scorsese gets one of those Mission Impossibles one day. He could day. be in The Irishman too. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time because I love The Hustler. I mm. think it's cool. It's one of those movies that when I was at uni studying film... I got very obsessed with that right. film, and it's I, in particular, cool got obsessed with Newman because he's like Newman. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the coolest actor, and yeah. maybe the hottest. He's gorgeous. Yeah. Do you hear that story about uh, around that that era, around the era of the Hustler? Mm. Paul Newman and Marilyn Monroe were at some party together. Yeah. And they were dancing the twist. Oh my whatever God. that fifties, you know, yeah. that fifties the twist. Yeah. In the living room together. And everyone just stopped what they were doing and just watched Paul wow. Newman and Marilyn Monroe dance the twist together because it was the sexiest <sighs> thing anyone had ever and seen. It's like the least sexy dance. Yeah, yeah. Like they're the hottest people in history. And everyone was like, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> so I think that's what we're going to be doing for the month of December. Yeah. We're celebrating Marty Christmas. Yeah. And um, I-, I can't wait to talk about Hustler and Color of Money. Yeah, that's such too. a good... P- I never would have thought to do the Hustler Well, I just couldn't be podcast. fucked watching Cape Fear again. I watched yeah. it recently <laughs> and it's not that great. Yeah. Why is Nick Nolte considered a great? That's so rude, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's in Mandalorian or whatever. But... Yeah, he plays a little munchkin in the Mandalorian. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I was watching with my partner and she was like, um, I know that voice. Who is that? I'm like this little munchkin character. Uh, he's, Agna- he's an Ugnut. You know, like uh, in, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like one of yeah. those things, Ugnuts. And I'm like, yeah, that voice. I should have known him by... And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Nick Nolte. That's who it was. Um, should we dive directly into this beautiful movie? Let's do it. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. 
By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. And believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm in construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. For us to live any other way was nuts. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's gonna be a good summer. <laughs> It was a glorious time. In a world that's powered by violence, on the streets where the violent have power, a new generation carries on an old tradition. Goodfellas, 1990, directed by Martin Scorsese. Don't you finish the word? E. Okay. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Three decades of life in the mafia. That's the um, letterbox tagline for mm, it. There, that's on the on the poster as well. Is it? Yep. Three decades. Is yeah. it? Does it spend three decades? Yeah, yeah. Because it's nineteen sixties, nineteen seventy, ends in nineteen eighty. It's a saga. Yeah. It's an American saga. The true story of Henry Hill, a half Irish, half Sicilian Brooklyn kid who is adopted by neighborhood gangsters at an early age and climbs the ranks of a mafia family under the guidance. Of Jimmy Conway. That's Goodfellas. That's Goodfellas, baby. That's it. I think we're, you and I, we're trepidatious right now, I'd say. This feels like when we reviewed Psycho. Yeah, where it's intimidating to review an an ultimate classic of mm. cinema, where mm. it's it's this movie's ingrained in it's me, you like, know? I mean, imagine if we had to review Donnie Darko. It would be so much like that. We yeah. are like, how can you review something that busts it open just like this? <laughs> it's... Busts open reality, not just art. Whoa. Yeah, this one's a tough one because you, you're saying this is probably your hundredth viewing. It might be. Like, I, yeah. I can't even imagine how many times I've seen this movie. I do, I, I'm not... I'm not in triple digits, yeah. but um, I have watched it many, many, many times. You would have seen it over 10 times, would you guess? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, when I was watching it this morning... I know all the dialogue. Mm. I've, I've realized it's hit that point in my brain where I know the cadence of every line, yeah. you know, where you can like recite it like a song. It's that hook thing where it's yeah. like Steven Spielberg's hook where I'm like, I know the way every line is delivered in that movie. Yeah. Like, You're yeah. doing it, Peter. Exactly. And or Austin Powers. Like I, yeah, it, these are just certain things that I just know how people talk mm. in these movies. And I think this film has such a, this film more so than, you know, apart from Psycho, I guess, and like, you know, Star Wars, I would say, has such an enduring legacy like no other. Yeah. And I would say that it's this thing that... It's interesting because we're talking about this in comparison to other uh, mafia movies, like The Godfather as mm. well, where The Godfather and this alongside each other, they're about similar subject matter, dealt with quite differently, but it's similar. there's similar things in them beyond the crime, beyond the element yeah. of the mafia. Um, and these films have such an enduring legacy and are considered total masterpieces and all-time instant classics from the minute they came out, really. And um, I think what makes these films endure is uh, it's it captures this... Like this, you know, I come from a similar background of growing up in a migrant community, mm-hmm. a diasporic community from the uh, from the Mediterranean. And I think that 
when I see movies like this, movies like The Godfather, but this in particular, it's the authenticity to that community that I find uh, and to that culture and the way that culture changes in a, uh, from a traditional aspect from the old country coming to a new country and how this new country shapes that. And I think that for every migrant that watches these movies or a child of a migrant, they see that story in mm. these films. And I think that is why these films endure and why they have such a strong and powerful legacy in the history of cinema. And I think because in particular the films in the mafia, in the Italian-American mafia, uh, you know, if you think about it in a logical way, um, the Cosa Nostra in Italy, it was like, you know, this, this, thing, of ours. this thing of ours, this thing of theirs, where it's like, <laughs> you know, um, that, to give that structural, uh, that structure to crime. And then for, actually, I, do I feel weird saying this? Okay. To give that structure to crime and then for it to travel to the new America and other places in the world, um, because it had that, it, it was able to kind of create this um, this community around crime or crime was very much integrated into the community. Um, and I, I think that because of that, it, it, it's something that's very glamorous or exciting or high stakes that uh, is a way for migrants to be able to tell their stories mm. in a very cinematic way. Yeah. And I think that's why there's this enduring legacy of not just gangster cinema, but in particular the Italian mafia in cinema and these movies being made or being now owned by Italian-Americans like Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola and our guy here, Martin Scorsese, where it's a way to tell their their ethnic story, their, story, their, their heritage and share their heritage um, and the stuff that's important to them in a way that is extremely cinematic. I think that yeah. this is the one that captures it better than all the others. Well, it's the Western, isn't it? It's mm. like the Western did that for the uh, American story of yes. like conquering new lands yeah. and dealing with the elements and all that shit. The, the Mafia movie is the Italian-American equivalent of mm. the Western. It's telling personal stories about trying to belong. Yeah. Um, but there's guns in it. There's guns in it. <laughs> Just like there is in the Western. You know, it's like, like you said, it's a cinematic way to tell a personal immigrant story. Yeah. And fucking hell, is it cooler than the Western? Mm. <laughs> I like a Western. Don't I worry. Love but, a Western. But there, it's the cool element that has hooked me into mm. mafia stories from the beginning. When I was studying film, it was a constant discussion. Are you, do you prefer Godfather or Goodfellas? Mm. Constant. Yeah. And um, I always had to go with Goodfellas because it felt, even though by the time I was watching it, it was 15, 16, yeah. whatever, however many years old. When was I? Uni? 06? Yeah, it would have been... Or, I, I saw this movie when I was 13 or 14. That would have been about 15 years ago. I've, yeah. I had this movie for half my life. Sure. This movie's been but, but didn't it feel me. fresh back yes. then? Like, if, I, if I'm watching it roll. in 06, it still felt new. Mm. And that's because it's designed that way. Like Martin wanted it to look and feel completely different to mm. The Godfather. It, yeah. It's punk. Like it's yeah. fucking rock and roll. It's punk. It's, it's. I've heard him describe it as a two and a half hour trailer. Yeah. 
And it fucking is. Some scenes yeah. go for five seconds. I know. Some scenes go for five seconds. I was timing them. I was like watching it this time going, this is a, it's like a music video. Yeah. And they would have set up, it would have been a whole day on this six second. Mm. That's all it is. Just him like chopping up a line of blow. Yeah. And then the camera whips up to someone else. And yeah. it's like, all right, that was it. But that was a day. <laughs> Ex- oh, I think that's it. This movie is electric to watch. Like, yeah. it, the rewatch value of this film is insane. Like, oh yeah, yeah. like to, I watched it yesterday and I watched it again before you arrived. <laughs> so I've seen it twice in two days. I still remember the first time I saw it. It was like the same week that I saw The Godfather finally because I was really oh, yeah. interested in this. Like the for the same reason I just talked about the idea of crime. Well, what got this you into that? Crime. Where were you? Was it Sopranos first? No, it was all the same time. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. like I just I know what it would have been. It would have been Mickey Blue Eyes first. It was Mickey Blue Eyes first. The classic James Khan, <laughs> <laughs> Jane Triple Horn. Hey, you know what? It might have been for me. Yeah, because like, I, I remember mafia comedies were around, and then mm. I started getting into the. Like actual source material. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a confluence of everything coming at once. And I began, it was that interest in seeing the immigrant story mm. through a very cinematic lens. Mm. Might have been The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. I reckon yeah, I would have yeah. seen The Untouchables, mm. Brian De Palma, Robert De Niro's mm. film, very early when I was like maybe 12 or 13 years old. That's and probably then just true for me, too. Going like, because that's, you know, that's a very, I mean, it's bloody. There's a lot of blood in it, but otherwise it's quite a tame. I love that Family movie. friendly, David Mamet, mm. great dialogue movie that I think it was a great introduction to the genre, especially because it's based on that true guy that yeah. you already know exists, Al Capone. Mm. I think it was that, and then I became interested in it as this migrant story of, um, you know, coming to a new country, the American dream, and that being put in under this, cri- this c- crime lens mm. and uh, and this lens of, like, uh, fucked up morals and mm. the idea of, like, you know, are you a sinner or are you a saint? And that's all yeah. kind of wrapped up in all man, that that's stuff. that's Marty's whole that's MO, Marty's, man. Yeah, I mean, he did... He, oh, man, in Mean Streets, the first line of dialogue is, like, it's it's Harvey Keitel's face in black and white in a church, and he's like, you hear the the narration going, it's like you make up your make up your sins in the church or something like that, and your sins on the street, something, and then it's Martin's voice doing it. Oh, really? And you know, it, the whole thing is him is like he was studying to become a priest and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But I remember I got into all these at the same time. I read the Godfather, the book, and then I was allowed to watch the movie from then. And then um, I was like, that was great. And then I was like, I've heard about this other one to my mom. I've heard about this one called Goodfellas. And she's like, oh, you're going to love it. And she went and bought it for me that day. Really? It went to JB Hi-Fi, went and bought it that day. And I was like, fucking hell we watched it together i'm like this is this is it blew my brain open this movie by like how energetic it was and like just the display of technique and changing breaking rules and stuff it uh you man god i feel the same way i'll never forget the way i the first time i saw it in film school and it was um being compared to the French New Wave, which of course oh, it yeah. can't not. Yeah, it's like a you know a, a lot of homage and pastiche of New yeah. Wave techniques. But that made me love it even more was the fact that I was watching Goodfellas and thinking it was cool and it had guns and mm. shit. And then my teacher at uni was going, "All right, so see what he's done there. He's taken that from Jules and Jim, yeah. or from like." I mean, Breathless, Breathless is a gangster movie. Yeah, and like, oh my God. So I was loving that even more, going, yeah. shit, he's like referencing stuff from like 20 years earlier than yeah. this. What the fuck? 
Yeah, it's it's incredible. The history of cinema that's in that's in Goodfellas, yet it still feels cool as fuck. Mm, I and new. Where should we begin with tackling this actual film? There's so much to kind of cover. Well, you know what I forgot on this view, and I, I've yeah. seen it so many times. I forgot that it starts halfway through the movie. Yeah, it's you. It starts with um, them driving down the highway. Mm. They've got Billy Bats in their car, who's been bashed up by Joe Pesci, Ray Liotta, and Robert De Niro yeah. as uh, Jimmy Conway, who real name is Jimmy Burke. Don't yes. know why they changed it. I don't really they know They changed why. all the names, uh, except for Henry. Henry, and there's a... Yeah, I think it's mainly just Henry. Tommy, Tommy DeVito, played by Joe Pesci. He's got another name. Tommy DeSimone. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Paul, Paul Cicero, played by Paul Savino. Mm. Paul Vario, his real name. Really? <laughs> yeah, it just sound too many Pauls. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound the same too. Yeah, I forgot that it starts in that situ, halfway point. Uh, at that midpoint, and then we jump all the way back. Mm. I mean, and also, another thing I forgot is that it starts at, uh, unarguably the most violent part yeah. of the film. Their darkest moment, I would say. The darkest moment, but also graphically the most mm. disgusting fucking thing yeah. you ever see, which is Joe Pesci stabbing a dying man yeah. about five times in the chest and face. I think, and then them shooting them. And then them. Jimmy shoots him in the face. Like it's, it's all that, because of the headlights on the car, or yeah, the, all the brake lights, it's all red. You're in this fucking hell. It's violent. It's disgusting. That's the opening scene of this mm. movie. And then we jump back in time. And you know what's interesting? This is 1990. Yeah. And then, was it four years later, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction came out yeah. and got all that all the buzz about how it's out of sync and it's mm. out of order and yeah. it starts at one point but then it goes back and yeah. it's like fucking dudes, Marty check out Marty's little flick um, from four years earlier. Yeah, it's actually quite well known. Did you forget it? <laughs> Did you forget it? <laughs> uh, I think it's so interesting watching this now and seeing that this film picks it up halfway through mm. and like you say, the most violent moment because I think what that does is it challenges you, the audience member, with what this the themes of this film. Yeah. Because you're seeing the most heinous, violent act mm-hmm. and it is scary. It's gross. It's not exciting. It's no. not cool. It's not like, oh, fuck yeah, bro. You see him stab that yeah, guy? Yeah, it's disgusting. It's scary. And it's yuck. that's matched with a freeze frame of... Uh, Ray Liotta looking shocked mm. and the line Blue of dialogue Liotta, by the way. Um, ever since ever since I was a kid I wanted to be a gangster whatever yeah. it is and then you've got that freaking Tony Bennett mm. da, 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 the rags to riches starts so I playing think that sums up the whole movie mm. right there is that he thought it was going to be way more glamorous and yeah. cool than it fucking was and he's st- I think that's and then he- it turns out that he's hosing out dead body yeah. gunk out of his trunk of his car and i think it's almost not ironic like i still think that you know that's the the tragedy of this henry hill as a character Mm. not and you know i don't want to speak too much of the real life guy but as a character henry hill played by ray Liotta, that's a tragedy is that i think that he's happy to put up with this shit to have the glamorous life that he finds Mm. exciting from that first second where we cut back in time and you see that close-up of this giant eye. Love it. I love that shot. That kid has such a beautiful is eye. Is that kid wearing contacts? That's something I've been wondering my mm. whole life. I think it's a natural eye. Beautiful see, eye colour. You can see the depth of his freaking iris. Mm. I think it's so real and seeing how big that shot is. God, mm. you could swim in that kid's eye. I mean, <laughs> you, shouldn't. You, would, you shouldn't. Dude. And especially not after eating. Exactly. <laughs> and let me tell you, you're going to be doing a lot of eating <laughs> watching this movie. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, you know, that first shot, 
it sets up the POV where we're seeing <laughs> we're seeing the point of view of uh, this kid and how romantic it is. Mm. We're looking up his street. We're seeing these beautiful cars, and then we're seeing all these like you know gorgeously fat men <laughs> with these beautiful jewelry, like beautiful watches. You see the details, yeah. the pinky rings as they're opening the doors and closing the doors on these Cadillacs Paulie and Walnuts Chevys. Paulie Walnuts in all his un- unwinged glory. Yeah, Back in the old days, we had jet black hair. <laughs> and then you've got like, you know, it's showing that these guys have a beautiful lifestyle, have a lot of fun and they love each other as a camaraderie around each other. And he's just this kid alone in his bedroom mm. looking through these shuttered windows where it looks like fucking bars of him being trapped away, I guess, kind of alone, lonely, and seeing like, you know, the riches of the world outside his window. It sets up that point of view perfectly where you're like, you're seeing the world through this person's eyes. Yeah. The only time you're not seeing through those eyes is through our other lead character, Karen, played by Lorraine Bracco. Mm, she's the only other character that gets a voiceover too, mm. right? Yeah. And I think that point of view is so key in this movie because you're seeing the lavish of him. And the only other time you see it other from, from anyone else is from her. And there's a key moment where she, she first sees the violence of Henry. Mm. It's after that beautiful Copacabana scene that we're going to mm. get into big time. But you see the violence of him beating up this guy that, the like, guy that you lives know, across the street. Lives across the street and assaulted her. Mm. And, you know, she's sitting in this car in this real movie star pose with her sunglasses on all laid back. And then you see just this one long shot of Ray Liotta wearing this like gorgeous like burgundy outfit mm. just with a gun and with in just really powerful in that sound effect of the gun smashing across <sighs> this guy's face like eight times yeah. in one clean shot. And then the way that his body moves and he switches hands to point the gun at the other guys and belittles them with like, don't shoot. I think that's such a key moment for me in this rewatch because you're seeing... Otherwise, the violence of this movie is not fun. It's like very brutal. Mm. I think in this moment is a moment where the violence is like kind of sexy. Well, that's the the line of dialogue after that is she says, uh, you know, I know I should say that it that was a red flag or a warning sign, but I got to admit it turned me on. And I think seeing her perspective on the violence mm. and seeing her liking it, and that's the moment where she like condones it, and then she becomes you know complicit in the sins of him, in yeah. the, and to gain the spoils of his war as well. Yeah. Oh well, you know what? It's I'm glad we're talking about how much fun it makes being a gangster look because mm. I think that's something that. Marty um, really wanted to get across and has also struggled with mm. um, ethically and yeah. morally. I mean, because he, he said, you know, I wanted this movie to be fast-paced. I wanted it to start like a, a bullet coming out of a gun and just get faster and mm. faster and faster because that's an exhilarating feeling to be yeah. in a cinema. He's kind of describing a roller coaster now that I think about it. To be like in the cinema, experiencing that, and you'd come away going, shit, I can totally understand why you would want to be in that yeah. scenario. But I think the key point is that from you know the midpoint on, mm. it's now moving so fast that it's out of control. Yeah. And we are no longer supposed to find it fun. I, I, We're supposed to be like 
fuck, what is going to happen? It's mm. so quick. He's sweaty as fuck. Yeah. He keeps looking up at the sky. What's going on? I think that's the challenge of this movie. He sets it up going like, you know, you've seen what this mm. world is straight away. The disgust of it. Yeah. The, 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 the you turning against your own morals, just killing a guy mm. horribly. And then, then he shows you the glory How of it. How fun it is. Yeah. And I think it's like that thing where it challenges you as an audience because you're like, yeah, I want all the nice stuff in the world. Mm. What am I willing to do to get it? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. And, you know, he's, that's the thing that he's done. Casino, Wolf of Wall Street. That's the thing that he, I think he finds interesting, especially about the American or Western psyche. Yeah. Where it's like, that's your challenge. Is like, is the working man a sucker? for just trying to work to earn a shit money or mm. do you take the shortcut to get to to live the dream life that you want but is a dream life was a freaking nightmare whoa this movie should be called american nightmare yeah that's a great alternate title <laughs> really good alternate title <laughs> oh my god do you want to get to the copa yeah because it's that key scene it's such a tough one because that's the i would say not only the most enduring and iconic mm. moment in this movie, but maybe uh, of any movie. Um, it's up there. It's got to be in the top 10 most iconic uh, moments of any film. It's probably the most iconic shot, you know, ever, It's I the would one say. take shot that everyone talks about. And it's... Should we describe it? Because it begins sure. with... Um, you know, Karen and Henry are going to go out on their second date, their first real date together, and they're going to the Copacabana. And it's a shot that sets up through Karen's perspective, because mm. I think we're at her eye level with the camera following them the entire time. Uh, the the lavish lifestyle of Henry. It begins with the song uh, "Then He Kissed Me" by the Crystals, mm. which is that Phil Spector shit that's mm. throughout that this whole movie. Sound, that dude. wall of sound. Can you describe the shot from then? Um, oh, can you? I okay. mean, I, I feel like I, I get awkward talking about it because well, of... what they're doing, like, they, he, we go down into the underground. Yeah. We're going through the back kitchen. It's kind of showing, like, this guy's got the connections to get into the he secret He skips world, the line, yeah. Skips the line. And can get through, yeah, can go through back channels to get to the very front. And it's, like, showing this exclusive world. He's 21 years old. They're like kids. Yeah. And it's, like, I think... This speaks to that male psyche as well of like, you know, being a young guy. I remember when I was like 20 or 21, 22, 23, up until now, basically, <laughs> where you're trying to impress someone mm. and using whatever connection you have to just go, look at me. I'm cool. Aren't I a worthy partner for you? Mm. Am I worthy? Am I sponge worthy? <laughs> <laughs> Am I sponge worthy to you? And um, I think that, uh, you know, this going through those back routes and going down, seeing at the table, the way the camera follows, it just... It's... I love that they move a table in for him as well. Oh, it's like the God. coolest thing in the world to come in and then they're setting up a table for you. Mm. Fucking hell. And yet they're right up the front, right up front of the stage. Yeah, and I think that... Someone sends over a bottle of champagne or at least waves to them yes, or something. they send some, some champagne, gangster. some gangster shit, and it's like she's being swept up in this world that she yeah. has no idea of. She's not Italian-American. She's Jewish. She's, she doesn't uh, know... Yeah, she's from the tribe. She's chosen. She she's... doesn't know this world at all. Mm. And um, I think that... It's so spectacular how it's just that unbroken shot. It gives that... A lot of this film has like 
long shots, but not just like tricky ones like this or the mm. one at the bar where you introduce like Jimmy two times and all like, you know, Frankie the Wop and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, those are characters That's names of the movie. a word I'm not allowed to <laughs> Yeah, you can't say it. I can't, okay? I have to call him Frankie the character in this movie. <laughs> And then, you know, it's where those are complicated. There's other shots that are less complicated, but they're these long shots, but they establish that um, that documentary feel of mm. it, where it's like, this is a reality that we're in, uh, where the camera can move around and capture anything. It could capture... Like, if you spin it around, it's not going to capture the lights and the crew of, like, fat union guys standing <laughs> around. It's going to show the rest of the world that we're living in now. Yeah. I think it's this film does so much to capture that authenticity at all times. I love that sequence um, for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's, like, iconic. It's been talked about a lot and how they did it, you know, eight or nine times and there was countless lights hidden, rigged mm. all around that whole thing. Yeah, I love that it was an accident, but I think uh, I think the thing I love most of all mm. is that, and the, the icing on the cake of Karen's seduction is that they have front row tickets to Henny Youngman, greatest comedian of all time. <laughs> what are your idols? One of my absolute idols. They get right up the front and this withered old fucking thumb-headed piece of shit comes out <laughs> and tells jokes about his wife. Yeah, I he's one of your idols for that reason, right? You got a joke that's very similar. Take my wife, please. I do, but then I you do. do a little wink at the end. Yeah, I go take my wife, please, and then I I wink, and then the implication is, please don't take my wife. I thought it was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's, he's a first cut comedian. <laughs> <laughs> All his jokes are about how his wife sucks and yeah. she's mean to him and she fucks other guys in the neighborhood and stuff. <laughs> I don't get I don't get the humor of him. I don't get the op- the opening line of his act is just mm. take my wife please and it gets a big laugh. I think that's just his catchphrase. Yeah. And so he's like at this point so iconic and so ingrained in the American psyche that he could come then out. He can go out and, and say the catchphrase go, yeah. first. It's like if I came out and was like, dude yeah. <laughs> or something, I don't know. But where do you reckon that line came from? Do you think it was like um do you think it it can here's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think he would have been like uh you know, some for example, it would have been something like, uh, some women uh, are, are difficult. Yeah. Take my wife, for example. Take my wife, please. Yes, that's what I think it is. But he opens with just, take my wife, please. And he gets a burst of laughter. And he gets a huge laugh, and I don't get it. I think it's become shorthand for <laughs> what for everything. <laughs> and also, do you know he plays violin? Yeah. His whole thing is that he does one-liners, and then he plays some fucking violin. Because you can see the violin in his hand. Yeah, it's like... God, comedy sucked back then, didn't yep. it? <laughs> it was just so it was just, shit. It was just people, like, you know, just gangsters. Whatever they found oh. funny was just a guy pissing his wife or, like, talking about his <laughs> dumb friends or whatever. I mean, it should have been Rickles. Rickles is the Save comic it. that appealed to the gangsters. Save it for a few weeks. You might get a little oh, surprise. God. You might get the surprise of your life and the best the best present that Scorsese could ever give you this Christmas. Oh, my God. God. Yeah, that's all I'll say. Okay, okay. You'll just have... All I'll say is that the best thing ever in cinema happens in The Irishman. And I'm dying to say it right now because <laughs> it's the best. Oh, uh, but, you know, it's you know he was like fucking 90 years old doing this again. Well, not <laughs> Henny Youngman. Yeah. yeah, he was really old. Because that's the real guy. Playing himself in the 70s. Playing himself in the 70s. So it's at least 20 years earlier. Yeah, yeah. And apparently one of the reasons it took so many takes to do this was because he would fuck it up every time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> it would come, they do this like you know intricate seven minute shot, and then the next shot you flip over to the guy and he's Take starts... my husband, please. Oh, <laughs> oh God. sorry everybody. <laughs> oh, what's my line? He's still, he didn't remember his material, he was nervous or whatever. Oh you know? man. Well, he kills. His yeah. joke's absolutely it's fucking crush. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine going up and doing take my wife, please. Like, what would, would you reckon you could get a laugh you opened with it? No. Damn. But you know what? I reckon uh, it's crazy that they actually got him mm. to do it. Like, why not just get a contemporary... Why not go Joker style? Get Gary Goldman. You are going to love the Irishman. Oh, You're going to love the Irishman. You're going to love it. But, you know, they got uh, they got uh, Bobby Vinton's son to play Bobby Vinton when he's singing oh. Roses are red, my love. That's his son. That's his son lip-syncing wow. to his father's music. <clears throat> the pop hits cute. of his dad. Oh, that's cute. Mm. Pop hits. My dad only released one pop hit. <laughs> I thought it was three. Three, technically, yeah. <laughs> three on a technical level. Oh, <laughs> uh, good Lord. Well, yeah, I love it. I think, um, you know, we talk about the crystals then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think this movie, and we're talking about Joker just a second ago. I think this movie does something that I complain that Joker doesn't do, where it has like the the juxtaposition of music to image oh, is yeah. so prominent yeah. in this film. Like, there's so much, like, sweet music that's used to highlight violence. Mm. Like, mm. you know, when you've got Donovan underneath, like, a brutal bashing of a guy. Yeah. And you've got Eric Clapton's Derek and the Dominoes doing mm. Layla. And it's, like, the sweet piano pl- part of Layla showing, like, the destruction that Robert De Niro's character has caused so he can get all the money in, like, the biggest heist in American history. Mm. I love the use of music, and I think um, arguably this movie is responsible for so many um, shitty needle drops in uh, mm. in cinema history. Absolutely, as a result of people trying to copy it and going maybe too pushing the irony too far by having like a really sweet song underscoring mm. a really brutal moment yeah. of violence. Um, but I think this movie plays it really well, and even down to the fact that there's uh, there's that scene where Karen is. Hanging out with all the mob wives, mm. and the Shangri La's leader of the yeah. pack is playing, playing underneath it, and I mean, even that is almost too on the nose. That's mm. a song about a young teenage girl who gets seduced by a gang leader, mm. and um, her girlfriends are telling her to stay away, but she's saying, "No, no, no, he's cool. He yeah. holds me close, and he wears shades at night and stuff." And you know, it's like I love that song. I love mm. the the girl the girl group Death Disc sound, but um. I think it plays really well because in that scene, it's just about how shitty the other women are. Mm. It's all, it's not about like a warning of stay away from these guys. It's like, no, the women are also corrupted as well. It's but, showing the complicitness. Of yeah. Them, right? They're, they're like, and she keeps saying in that scene, their skin looked bad and mm. they're, they're wearing thrown together, like high fashion um, outfits that don't make sense. Yeah. And it's like, well, there you go. That's, that's corruption. Like you're wearing it. You're wearing mm. the the bad choices that you've made, and it yeah. manifests on your skin and on your face. And, and they're like, you know, bragging about their husbands. Like, oh, he killed the guy. Yeah. You know, they're saying like it's a bad thing, but you can tell the delight in them. Like how exciting it is for them to be with this powerful guy. Yeah. I think that I I wrote down I love Ileana Douglas in this scene. Do you know, I she's someone who anytime she's in something, she's in Cape Fear as well. Yeah. And I know she's a filmmaker, but anytime she's on screen, I'm I pay attention. 
I, I really, so really funny. like her. She's so funny. She was Scorsese's partner at yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that till now reading about it. First new fact for Scorsese for me. Oh man, I'd I'd been there, done that when I when I um rewatched Cape Fear mm. recently because she's in that yeah. quite prominently. And I was kind of like, what is her story? I know yeah. she's a filmmaker, but how come she's sometimes in movies? And playing like these small, funny yeah. characters. Yeah, and she's always great. And then, yeah, they'd been, they were like a on and off yeah. kind of couple for a, a decade or two. She's so cool in this. Like, you know, she's got that line where she's like, you know, massaging Karen's hands with mm. like the cheap, like, you know, uh, door-to-door salesman product, that pyramid scheme <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, she's just like, "Have you? where are you from? I'm from Miami. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's like Jew heaven. And she's like speaking to this <laughs> Jewish woman that she has no idea. Yeah. And it's just like so... It's. I just think that her character is so funny. She pops up again as like, I think one of Joe Pesci's girlfriends or something later on in the film. Oh, really? I think she's... I, she's just like you said, one of those really cool people. I think this movie has so many great little character actors. Dude... Can you believe we haven't talked about any of the actors? Really I yet? know, God. How the hell are we going to approach this? Because it's like you. Everyone's a standout. You got five great, like you know, top leading performances. Yeah. Ray Liotta mm-hmm. is phenomenal as Henry Hill. Yeah, I think that his laugh during the uh, famous mm. "I'm funny to you." Um, scene yeah. is one of the most insane acting choices I've ever seen. And I think it's the reason that scene's so iconic. Mm. Obviously, Pesci is great in it, but Ray Liotta's absurd, like, barking laugh. And, like, the way that his whole body clenches up together. It's and he's crazy. Just, his jaws open wide, <laughs> much like Steven Spielberg's classic film. Oh, yeah. He's wonderful in this movie, man. He's great. The, you know, the, he had to fight to get this role. Mm. And um, he's of Scottish heritage, ethnically. Mm. Uh, but he was adopted into an Italian family. Right. So I kind of think that he, who else could play yeah. this role? He was like born to play it. And that's why he fought so hard for it. He like sent Marty's VHS tapes of like, you know, something wild, the Jonathan Demi movie he was yeah, in a few yeah, years prior God, to this. Something wild too. I love that movie yeah, so much. Sick. But, uh, you know, originally I wanted William Peterson. Who's that? The, the guy from, uh, from CSI. Which guy? The main guy. The, oh, that guy! Yeah, he's in Manhunter. He's <laughs> in uh, the the Michael Mo- Mann movie Manhunter. Hmm. He is also in um, To Live and Die in L.A. He's the lead of that film, the okay. William Friedkin cop film. But he was like more a stage actor, I believe, a Chicago stage actor, mm. and they really wanted him. Deep dish. They wanted a deep dish style actor. <laughs> and um, he, I think, I can't imagine any other actor other than Ray Liotta doing no, this film. No, I can't either. It's it's icon- an iconic role. I think he... But like all of them, dude. Like every yeah. single... I can't picture any other actor mm. that has been cast in this movie. Yeah. Pesci, who I, like many of us, knew largely from the Home Alone mm-hmm. 1 and 2... When we were kids, because that's the age we were, and that's how we knew Joe Pesci. Okay, say a little less condescendingly, Jesus. I mean, he's great in them. Mm. He is actually genuinely great yeah. in those two movies. Um, but seeing him be what he is in this movie mm. was revelatory for me. Mm. As a, um early 20s guy, I was like, hang on a second, this funny little fucking wet bandit yeah. can also be 
the scariest guy in this movie, mm. and he's half everyone's height. And he's like <laughs> older than everyone, but yeah. playing younger than them as yeah. well. They're watching it now, this new 4K restoration, the one thing I noticed I'd never noticed before mm-hmm. is his wig is awful in this movie. <laughs> his wig sucks. Or just you can tell it's a wig now in this 4K restoration. Because uh, oh, he's bald. He's got a widow's peak and stuff like that. Oh, really? I watched a great interview with him on Letterman right after watching this yeah. from around the same time. It's so funny. He's smoking a huge cigar the whole time, and Letterman just is loving playing with him because, like, he drops an f bomb and then, like, oh, and then they both just leave the set, and then Paul Schaefer just has to play music. It's really, really, really funny, and um, I think that his performance is so good. It won him an Oscar. Mm. Thank you. It's an honor. It's a and a privilege. <laughs> Best speech ever. <laughs> Best speech ever. Best Oscar speech ever. <laughs> thank you. It's an honor and a privilege. That Thank you. I think that's on the whole speech. Yeah, leaves the stage. And then he leaves the stage. And then... Um... <laughs> they didn't even get to play him on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he ran up. <laughs> he didn't stop moving. He was looking at his watch, doing pacing his feet up there. Uh, but it's... I think he captures something so... What the, it's at the heart of the movie. What's what this is is that like he's so likable and mm. so funny, mm. and seeing him play with like Catherine Scorsese, Martin's mother, playing oh, his yeah. mother. Isn't that a great fucking scene? It's that's my <laughs> favorite scene because I think that's what it, that's what it's doing. Why don't you settle down that... with a nice woman? My I settle down every night, <laughs> and then I come home and I and I'm with you. I love you. I yeah, love you. I like, love it. I think that's it. Captures the at, at the essence of like. Um, the authenticity of this film is the mm. stuff with Catherine Scorsese, who's Marty's real life mother. Yeah. She was not a trained actor. Her dad was a stage manager. Her mom owned a shop and um, she just loved being with Marty and his friends making these movies. She's mm. in Raging Bull. So is his dad, who's in this mm. too. They're both in Casino. And um, he just knew that putting her in the scene with them, she could hold her own against probably three of the great American <laughs> actors just by doing improv. And she could lead the scenes in improv. And then, you know, Bobby could be in character perfectly. Ray Liotta could be quiet. Mm. And it'll just be her and Joe Pesci who were like friends. She was like, this is my son's friend. I just want to play with them. <laughs> yeah. And it's so delightful. Like, he's just like, gave her the picture. He's like, hold up the picture and do whatever. And she just, that's her going like, yeah, one goes east, one goes west. So what? <laughs> that's just her. <laughs> I think that's the secret to this Pesci character. Is like, you, you make this guy so funny, so likable, this, this live wire guy. He's not nice throughout the whole movie. No, he's horrible. He's horrible to his to friends. To everyone. He only is nice he, to his mother. He makes everyone think he's going to kill them at some point. And it's <laughs> that, like, that, and, but he gets away with it because Joe Pesci makes it very charismatic performance. Mm. And then those moments where it turns, like, I kind of hated him watching this movie now. Mm. I think now, because, like, you know, you know, as you get older, you know more people like this that use their charisma to intimidate people. Mm. And I think now watching it, I'm like, I hate this fucking guy from the first second of this Mm. movie where he's, like, using his charisma to be the biggest person in the room, to intimidate everyone else. And then you see him where he crosses a line where it's like he yeah. fucking kills a teenage boy. I know. Apparently that's the the only sequence that Joe Pesci struggled with because mm. he was just like, well, this makes him irredeemable. Yeah. And it does. 
And it needs to be there because mm. otherwise you just get wrapped up in how charismatic this performance is. Yeah. The studio wanted to take that scene out. Those scenes out with him and Michael Imperioli. Damn. Where he shoots Spider in the sport. Come on, Spider, Spider. It's, one, right. it's really upsetting to watch, to mm. be honest. Like, I used to think it was so funny and cool, especially because I loved, you know, the fact that it's got Michael Imperioli yeah. in it and I was very into The Sopranos yeah. and all The Sopranos, Goodfellas connections, but... But yeah, watching it now, it's it's upsetting. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. Mm. What would you say, like seventeen? I would say Spider's like between seventeen and twenty-one. Right, he's a kid, and he's nervous. And I actually get upset watching anyone make fun of someone for like stuttering and stammering and stuff. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's re- it's really fucking mean. It's awful. It's really mean. But and it's... I'm glad it's in there though, because otherwise, mm. it's you. You think Pesci's character's a hero? Yeah, he needs to needs to re- uh, make him irredeemable. There's mm. some, uh, you know, Robert De Niro is great. We'll probably talk about him on a Patreon episode coming out very soon, mm. where we're going to be doing deep dives on like some of our favorite actors. But I think he's fabulous in this movie as well. Yeah, just I think it, he captures between him and Paul Savino, capturing like the coldness of these people uh, hidden beneath the, this warm. A fatherly, mentally uh, exterior, where hmm. they you see those turns. It's in their eyes, both of them. They have these moments where you, it's captured in their eyes of where you see the truth of their character. Obviously, with Robert De Niro, it's really signposted. Mm. Where you've got that, um, that is what's that song? It's Cream, I think. Yeah, which Some, one is it? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? Sunshine of Your Love. Sunshine of Your yeah, Love is playing, right. and it's like got that tracking in shot yeah. of him smoking that cigarette, and then the narration going like, that's when I knew Jimmy was going to fucking whack everybody that yeah. was involved in it. And you see the selfishness, the selfishness of him in these eyes and mm. the cunningness. And then you've got, I think, uh, Paul Savino, he's such a warm presence. But mm. then there's this like... I think that moment where you're seeing him like with everyone else at this barbecue and like him eating like this sausage sandwich <laughs> and it's just like this moment in his eyes where it's like I just see this coldness to this character. Yeah, he's a he's another one who has this uncanny wonderful natural ability to be both warm and terrifying at the same time. Mm. I don't know how he does it. I, some some of those guys it's like the same the same way I feel about Gandolfini mm. or someone. It's like, how can this big teddy bear also scare the shit out of me? I was reading... I watched this documentary years ago about Goodfellas that Paul Savino talked about finding the character. And he's talking about how like he had difficulty because <coughs> he mainly played like cops and stuff. Like, mm. you know, uh, heroic characters, if anything. And he said he found it difficult. And then it, the only way he could tap into it was like, if anyone did anything to my family... Mm. And there's like a, then he was like, I was staring in the mirror and I found a moment, uh, just a look in my eye where I found the character. Mm. It's like, now I can do it. Hmm. Damn. But he's like, um, I love Paul Savino. He's a very interesting guy. I don't know anything about him. Uh, well, too bad. (laughs) Well, I just think he's a really interesting actor, like great character actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talked about uh, Lorraine Bracco. I think oh, I think gosh. that might be the best performance in the whole film. It's, it's a standout. And I've heard her say uh, that uh, she felt, because it was such a fucking cock fest, everyone in the movies dude, essentially, yeah. she felt immense pressure that mm. she had to really make her part worthwhile and yeah. more than just the 
classic mob mole, um, yeah, you know, gangster wife sort of thing. And she didn't. She decided that she was to research the character. She wanted to meet with wives of yeah. mafiosos, but because it's a tight knit community, she couldn't. She couldn't get in. Couldn't get in. She didn't want to meet Karen because she thought it would be more. Uh, more, better for the film for it to come from creation within herself. Mm. And I just think that she plays it so perfectly of this someone that starts out like this quite independent and exciting person. Mm. And like she she wins Henry over by showing how feisty yeah. and independent Shows she is. Shows up and yells and at him. dominating she is. And then the whole, her entire story is a battle between being independent and dominating and then being completely dependent on this mm. lifestyle that she grows accustomed to because she finds it exciting as well. Yeah. And I, I can't even imagine... That's such a laid performance to play all that. It's wild, man. And uh, the, the moment that really gets me, there's so many big showy moments for her in this movie, but the one that really breaks my heart every time is when she's visiting him in prison mm. and she's smuggled in all those sausages and cheeses yeah. and shit. And she sees his Gumar's name on the... Yeah, Janice Rossi. Jesus Christ. I get angry when I see it on there. I'm like, this poor fucking woman. She's looking after the kids. She's smuggling shit into prison. She's literally committing crime now. Yeah, and he's still meeting up with his fucking side piece. Mm-hmm. To get a little conjugal in. Yeah. It's like, it's horrible. It's really upsetting. Mm. And there's something in her performance there where she sees the name on the list. It's all done in that classic Scorsese, like vignette, yeah. vignette moving camera. Mm. Um, but you see her her face. It's just this realization that it's just never going to end. Yeah. She doesn't even say, don't. She doesn't even say to him, stop seeing this woman. She just says, if I hear about her again. Um, I'll turn you in. Yeah. So it's like it's like she's making this little deal with the mm. devil. You can fuck these other women, but I just don't want to know about it. Yeah, it's horrible. It's uh, I love this performance. That shit. Ha- oh man. To have to ima- like you know now we're more familiar with her from her role in Sopranos mm. as jo- Dr. Jennifer Melfi mm. or Dr. Jennifer Melfi as I almost <laughs> said, and where it's like such a reserved character and all this like anger and stuff bubbling beneath this reserve. Yeah. It's God. She was offered Carmela first. Yeah, I'm so glad she took Melfi. She was like, "Why would I? Yeah, <laughs> I've done it. I've, I'm the one that's done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the one that created this. And, and she would have done it wonderfully. Mm. Thank God, Edie Falco got the opportunity to be yeah. Carmela because she's a, a fucking star too. Yeah. But, but yeah, she's a wonderful actor, Lorraine Bracco. Really, yeah. really has an in, an intense amount of range and can hold the screen so well. Mm. Oh, it's such a good performance. And, you know, aesthetically, all these characters, all the costumes that they're in, it's stunning. Mm. I went to my school formal in a suit based on, like, the one that uh, he that Ray Liotta wears when he goes to pick her up uh, with Joe Pesci and he's l- too late and the mum starts yelling at him. <laughs> this, like, silver shark skin, like, shiny <laughs> suit. I had, like, a suit just like that to go to my f- school formal. Really? Yeah, because I was obsessed. <laughs> hey, do you want to tell everyone what you just 
Oh, I just... yeah. I made a purchase today watching this movie again, re- doing the research for it. I found out that Catherine Scorsese, Martin Scorsese's mother, released a cookbook <laughs> called Italian American, the Scorsese Family Cookbook. Obviously, it's been out of print for like 20 years. Came out like, <laughs> she died in 1997. Oh, so it's like, tragically. Eight, tragically, we lost Catherine Scorsese. Mm. And I think that the, this book has probably been out of print since then. And so there was one copy on Amazon that I bought for $120. As I was like, even if this, even if I never cook anything from it, <laughs> this, great is, artifact. this is an artifact that I'm like, I can't wait to read it. And there's a review that I found that was like, <laughs> I think on Amazon's or Goodread, there's only like one little comment review. And it was written by someone that I think had no idea who this person was. <laughs> because they were just like, you know, I bought this book for my daughter because we love Italian-American cuisine. Um, and then I, um, I, 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 I she, I picked it up, started reading it. I couldn't put it down. She starts talking about her son, Martin. And I think that it's, he sounds like a fascinating guy. I'm like, what the? How do you not know who any of these people are? They're like American icons. That is so funny that the only review of uh, her book is from someone who doesn't know who yeah. Scorsese is. Who would have bought this book probably 10 years ago yeah. on Amazon or something. Oh, you got to cook me something from that book. Yeah, I'll do something. Yeah. I'll do something. I don't know. Maybe mm. I'll bake a ziti. I'd love a ziti, yeah. Mm, I'll bake a ziti. I've always wanted to try a ziti. I oh, don't know what it I've is. I've been making ziti. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know I what it is. It, I made a ziti from the Sopranos cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Carmela's ziti. You made Carmela's ziti? Yeah, from the Sopranos cookbook. How was it? It was delish. Yeah? What yeah. is it? Is it just pasta It's like a baked, baked pasta, but okay. you know, you put a few layers in there. Mm. You put a little ricotta, you put a little mozzadelle, yeah. cubes of mozzadelle, you put it through there. Mm. Um, you make a rich uh, gravy with some Italian yeah. sausage. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I'm starving. And uh, ziti is like rigatoni, but a little bit smaller. Okay. And it's, it doesn't have the ridges on the tubes. Oh, God. But those ridges. The oh. ridges are important. It's ridged for my pleasure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, I think we're reaching towards the end. There was one thing that I also want to talk about that I noticed on this time through, you know, thinking about this as a music video and, you know, how, of course, this would go on to influence classics like Suicide Squad with its needle <laughs> dropping and stuff. Uh, but that final day of Henry as a gangster uh, yeah. where, um, you know, you've got like Monkey Man by the Rolling Stones playing and What Is Love, George Harrison, like all this really energetic pop music, pop rock music. It's quite heavy on guitar, heavy on the drums, and it keeps building up till it gets heavy. Music gets heavy with the drums and you're hearing uh, Henry's heartbeat, basically, and like the energy of the scenes is like that. But from once he gets pinched... By the cops, and you get that moment where it's like, you know, that where you get the good fella monologue, and you're talking about, um, you know, wise guys don't sneak up on you. The wise guys sneak up on you. Mm. They don't, you don't even know they're there. But this guy started yelling, I felt I was safe because co- it was a cop. From that point on, there is no music at all in the movie until the sex pistols in the last five seconds of the film. Hmm, really? There's no music at all. It's silent. Even when Karen goes to visit. Uh, Jimmy Conway, 
Oh, yeah, that's true. the warehouse, no music in any of the scenes. Yeah, that's true. Because I think that's the point where it's like, yeah, I told you this sucks. Yeah. I showed you at the start of the movie that this world sucks, and then I showed you why you still think it's cool and why you desire these things that these men get by ill means. Mm. And then I sh- now I'm showing you it sucks. It's not fun anymore. There's yeah, no the energy music is gone. to bump on. There's no energy anymore. Uh, everyone looks like shit. Their eyes look fucked because they <laughs> don't sleep anymore. They feel guilty because now they realize they've been bad and they have to go against everyone else. What do you, what do you make of the final moment of the film? Uh, I know it's been talked about mm. a lot, but his uh, Henry Hill's like kind of look to camera mm. sort of thing when and he gets up and starts talking. Uh, at the very end, like at the very he, end, yeah, yeah, very end. How do you? Well, yeah, I guess also he does address the camera. He That's breaks something. the fourth wall. I'd forgotten about that too. Yeah. What, how are we supposed to interpret that? It's I think, language that's just being introduced mm, at Beale the style. very end of the movie. Yeah. I think it's, um, it is definitely inspired Deadpool and Deadpool 2. <laughs> definitely inspire those films. But I think it's more, I think it's a way of like directly addressing the audience. It's going like, hey, suckers. The final you know? shot where he does look at the camera mm. and there's that look in his on his face is yeah. that supposed to be read as I made bad decisions and now I'm living with it or fuck I wish I was still a gangster I, I hate the suburbs it's that cut to uh, he's now dead friend shooting direct at the camera in a you know uh, and uh, it's an iconic image and it is paying homage to the great train robbery a silent film never seen that uh, uh, it's like seven minutes long you know mm. it's like a YouTube clip mm, awesome. it's shorter than the Bon Appetit video yeah I'll try and check it out one day but you see him shooting <laughs> it's on YouTube probably <laughs> but you see him they, they, like that's an early gangster film mm. western gangster hybrid really and you see him shooting direct the camera it's an homage to that and I think it's saying that this when it cuts back to Henry he's like smiling I think he's like I'm never out hmm and, you know, Henry Hill, the real-life guy, got pinched a couple of times. He, I think he was thrown out of the witness protection. Oh, really? Because he couldn't really keep clean. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, he became a chef as well later on. And I think that... I'd love to try his ZD. Yeah, I think you, you can... The Henry Hill has a cookbook too. I almost bought it as well. <laughs> Maybe I should buy that for you for Christmas. I'll keep the Captain's Cassayers and I'll buy you the Henry Hill one. And we'll take turns cooking each other. Yeah, we bake each other's ZDs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that what is that? How would you interpret the scene? Yeah, I guess I I've my, spent my whole life interpreting it as regret that he lived the life that he lived, and now it was. I mean, my way's playing, mm. but Sex Pistols not Frankie. Sinatra. Yeah, but then I've now on this viewing kind of looked at it as uh, him being like, I regret getting caught. Mm. <laughs> I wish I wish I was still living the high life. I hate the suburbs. I have no regrets. I think that's the way I interpret it too. And I think it's like, hey, I, this is not a redemptive moment for the mm. character. I don't think there is redemption for this character. I don't think Marty believes that there is either. He's yeah. just showing the people that he saw growing up mm. in a way that he believes is authentic and accurate. And I don't think he's asking you... If anything, he's challenging you, the audience, is mm. what I see now watching this film for the hundredth time. <laughs> to finally have a new take on it. Man, this is a fun chat. It was intimidating. Mm. I'm glad we did it. I think we did. I think we did a great job. And I'll pat myself on the back for it. All right, I'll pat you on the back for it too. 
Man, one final thing. Frank Sivero, Frankie Carboni, the guy from The Wedding Singer, funniest guy. <laughs> There's so much funny little character actors, but he is the funniest. Where him and Joe Pesci is like this little comedic team. Yeah. Where he's like, the hey, coffee you know, bit. You know, when he kills Sam yeah. Jackson and Pesci's take that like, coffee to go. Take that coffee to go. <laughs> What are you fucking stupid? <laughs> yeah. So, and he's got that horrible steel wool hair. I love his hair so oh, much. Man. Is it true that that guy tried to sue uh, the Simpsons for using his likeness? I think so. Yeah, for one of the gangsters <laughs> that looks exactly oh, like him. Oh man, that's so sad. It does look exactly. It looks exactly like, like, him. like yeah. it's undeniable yeah. that they've based it on him. <laughs> They should have just given him the voice. He would have been spectacular as a yeah. Simpsons character. Yeah, oh God, he would have been. I mean, I only know this from a Simpsons movie, so I don't know how similar the character is from his appearance in the show, but you know. You've only seen Simpsons movie. Yeah, I've only seen Simpsons movie. Yeah. Oh, you should check out the show. Mm, should I or? It's kind of like a YouTube video, but like there's heaps of them. Maybe I'll check them out. Yeah. Simpsons, huh? Simpsons, yeah. Okay, I'll check them out. Simpsons. Yeah, Cinnamon sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Cameron, this was actually really fun to talk about Goodfellas. It was actually really good, fella. Now, that is one of your most beautiful funnies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to uh, My Blue Heaven. It's I think mm. I'm either going to love it or hate it. I've seen it once and I don't really remember it <laughs> much, but I just, I'm just i fascinated to just like... Two of my heroes, two of your heroes. Yeah, three. But, no reference counts to... Oh, sorry. Three, three heroes there, mm-hmm. but... Potentially, it's going to be. Um, there's probably a reason why. Yeah. It's not. It's not well known. <laughs> one of those well known Steve Martin joints. Or maybe it's just because the true iconic movie about gangsters came out at the exact same time. Yeah, that's true. And it got eclipsed, so we don't know really. Well, we should watch it together. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. And maybe have a ZD. Or have two. a couple of ZDs. We bake each other a ZD, <laughs> Scorsese, Soprano style. Um. <laughs> Cameron, you got anything coming up? Yes, I do. I'll be in Melbourne in the middle of December doing stand-up comedy. I'll be in Brisbane about a week after that. I'm going to put the dates up on my Instagram and Twitter and stuff. I'm at I am Cameron James. Mm -hmm. Um, What about yourself? Uh, I'm at This Is Alexi on Twitter and Instagram. On the 20th of December, I've got Comedians Talk Over Movies, the last gig for the year. Uh, We're doing Jingle All The Way, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mm. classic starring... Freaking heavy hitters like Jake Lloyd from Star Wars: <laughs> The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. You got Phil Hartman as well. In Rita that. Wilson. Rita Wilson. My goodness, and the guy that has never bombed, the Sailor of the Seven Seas, mm. Simbad. That's uh, one of my favorite movies. Man, do you want to come do it? Are you here? I'd love to do it. All right, you're in. It's going to be me and Cameron. We'll find someone else who's awesome to do it as well. I'm obsessed with Sinbad. He, it's one of the funniest movies, and that's another one that I know. Mm. Cadence for cadence, off yeah. my heart. Jobberman. My favourite one is um mm, these cookies. That's Phil Hartman. <laughs> yeah, it's insane for voice by Phil Hartman. He's so so good. it's gonna be me and Cameron doing it. Yeah, uh, cool. Come down. And the tickets are in the show notes. They're pretty cheap, so buy them now. The last one sold out pretty quick, so jump on it. Uh, otherwise, stay tuned for my blue heaven. Head over to patreon.com slash total reboot to get access for five bucks a month to get access to uh, our Facebook group to our new podcast or our to our bonus podcast where in the past we've got our live episode up and all us doing riffs and reboots on other movies and bonus episodes to miniseries i think now we're going to kick it off uh by talking about some of our favorite actors of all time as talking about their career jump talking about some highlights from some of their favorite our favorite movies with them 
and uh, so forth. I reckon De Niro might be the way to start. Yeah, that'd be a good one to do, especially for Marty Christmas. Come on. Yeah, come on, celebrate. Come on, you got to celebrate. you got to celebrate. Hey, before we leave, Lex, can I ask you to uh, leave us with a, a rumination mm. on the uh, the cinema of uh, Italian-Americans? Well, the cinema of Italian-Americans is cinema of us all. Mm. Everyone that's ever felt small, everyone that's ever felt hard done by, mm-hmm. you know, you see characters like Rocky, you see characters like, um, you know, Mickey Blue Eyes mm-hmm. and stuff, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's me. I'm mm-hmm. an auctioneer. Yeah. Is that what he is in Mickey Blue Eyes? I think he's an auctioneer <laughs> in Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> um, what about Corky Romano? Fucking hell, man. I think that's somewhere in here. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I've seen Cookie Romano so many times. Dude, fuck. To answer your question that you said earlier, yeah. what got you into it? Sorry, the answer is Cookie Romano. <laughs> Not kidding. Not kidding. Feet of Falk. Oh my God, it is. Shit. That's the thing that started your. I'm going to jump, dude. Movies. I'm going to jump. <laughs> it was Cookie Romano. <laughs> Great. Oh. 